Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, Brian, I always like to lead with this question. Uh, Take it in any direction you'd like. What was Brian Broaddus like growing up? He was a guy that really appreciated sports. He always wanted to be involved in sports. He always wanted to do things that was, that were related to sports as far as, you know, I wanted to be like at nine years old, I wanted to be a broadcaster. I really did. And I just loved watching sports. I loved listening to guys talk about sports. And so it was always unique for me to, as a kid, play sports, grow in sports, and then have the opportunity to do what I do today because as a kid, I always wanted to be involved with sports. Do you recall what drew you to sports? Was there a person or or a group of people who influenced that, or was that just something hardwired into you at birth? My family had a a career in college football at Texas A&M. Uh, my uncles played and then went on and played professional football for the 49ers. And that was kind of one of those things as a kid, you know, I was always around football. My real first memory of sports was the 69 world series with the Mets. And I couldn't figure out why they were celebrating, you know, why they were jumping around on the field and stuff. And, you know, that was kind of a unique thing to me. I thought, man, that's really cool. But yeah, that was, uh, you know, it was just kind of that early, you know, the family and then, you know, the, the Mets that one time, the Cowboys in the Super Bowl against the Baltimore Colts. You know, those were times where they, it really affected me, you know, good and bad. Uh, you know, with the Cowboys losing to the Colts, that was, uh, that was kind of strange. I, had, you know, I never thought the Cowboys would ever lose, but they did. And so that was kind of a weird time in my life. But those are the types of things that drew me into sports. And then specifically football was, when did you develop a love for football that may be separated from other sports? Or did you never really separate football from other sports? It just happened to be the path you went down. It was really the path that I went down. Again, my family was so involved with, with sports as far as football. And so I was always, you know, with my mom and dad as a kid, they were always going to games at Texas A&M. I was always wanting to go to the game. I was too young to go to the game. But, yeah, football was something that was always in me. And then, you know, like in 72 when the Rangers came to Arlington, my mom and dad took me to games out there. I mean, I, I really enjoyed baseball that way in the early you know, with Ted Williams as a manager of the Rangers at the time and going to get his autograph, and it was ball night, bat night, and all this stuff like that. And 
but football was kind of the path that I that I that I knew the most about, and I, I gravitated towards the most just because of my family. The other sports were more about, hey, let's go do this. I remember the Dallas Blackhawks had a uh, well at the time well, it was the minor league hockey team that played at Fair Park. Dad took me to hockey games as a kid, but it was always football. It was always football, the Pat, because that was something that we were doing every single weekend. And then when did you, so you, you go and, and you go to LSU and you play football at LSU. At what point did you realize like, Hey, I'm, I'm pretty good at this football thing. And, and maybe this is something I can do when I graduate high school. Well, that was, you know, when I was a kid, like you say, the broadcasting part, I went to LSU with the intent of going and trying to get a broadcasting degree and seeing if I can, you know, somehow do this. And, you know, it really was funny that, you know, it, it was just a really a big, big time commitment for me, you know, playing college football and then also trying to be in, you know, the broadcasting, what I needed to do for that. And so, I, you know, I changed my major and, you know, had the opportunity while I was at LSU to kind of make a career switch, you know, in the middle of it, I was going to school and, you know, a couple of coaches there said, hey, you ought to get involved with coaching or recruiting is what you ought to do. And, you know, if you're interested and I was like, well, you know, yeah, that sounds like a good path. It sounds like something I'm already involved with. And that's really, that's the decision. I went from being like thinking I was going to be the next Keith Jackson as a kid to being in, and going into college to being like, Hey, maybe I could turn this into a career of being a coach on the collegiate level or pro level, even, or even being a recruiter on the collegiate level. You know, I had no intention of being a scout at all. That was something that I dealt with scouts every day at LSU. And it was, you know, I had guys that were saying, hey, you get a pretty good you know, gift for gab here and talking about these players. And, you know, but I really never thought about it that much. But I did make, a, a like in my mind, a career change that going from a, wanting to be a broadcaster to being a, you know, to wanting to work in, say, coaching or personnel. So you, you mentioned – you know, they, they they discussed maybe a gift for gab. What else do you recall uh, did they see in you that, that led them to go out of their way to kind of share uh, or project what they thought you were able to do in, in that regard? Uh, and, and what was it when they said that that kind of clicked with you that was like, yeah, you know what, you're right, and I think I would love it for these reasons? Yeah, the, the thing that I was never uh, – I was – I was a good high school player in Dallas at W.T. White. I was a good high school player. And then I went to LSU, and I went from being a big fish in a little pond to being a little fish in a big pond. And I, I physically just was not talented enough to, you know, to be a, a frontline Southeastern Conference football player in the 80s. I just, you know, at the time, you know, the, we were playing with, you know, 285, 295-pound guys. I just never could get that big. You know, and I just never could get strong enough. As hard as I tried, I just never could. And, you know, I had to develop the ability to, to be a long snapper. You know, I tried you know, for my scholarship and stuff to be able to develop a skill that, you know, for them to keep me on scholarship and give me a reason to be around. But, you know, sometimes, and, and I've learned this about, you know, in talking with you and talking to people in baseball, you know, sometimes the, the best players or excuse me, the best managers are players that weren't very good. You know, maybe they were bench players, maybe they were catchers, you know, maybe they were backup players, you know, that, that just were able to sit around and kind of evaluate the game 
And, you know, that's what I was always doing. I was always more than willing to listen. You know, I was on scout teams the majority of my career at LSU. You know, I was never, you know, I traveled all the games and sidelines, you know, all the games and stuff, but, you know, and as a deep snapper, but, you know, never playing offensive snaps. And, but I always was willing to listen and learn and pay attention and take notes and, you know, kind of be a guy that if, you know, I had to explain something to one of my teammates, I was able to say, hey, listen, all right, this protection, this is what we're going to try and do here. This is why. And, you know, that was something that, you know, that I, that, that path, I, you know, when people explained it that way to me, I felt like, well, maybe they're right about this. Maybe I have the ability to, to teach, uh, to explain, to coach, uh, you know, that, that kind of came pretty naturally to me because I was willing to, as a, as a, really a, a not a great player, I was able to willing to sit down and learn while the others were being great. And I think that's, that, that right there, once I realized that I could do that, then that's, that kind of steered me in the way that I went. So I, I don't want to, at the risk of jumping ahead here, because I, I want to, after I ask this question, kind of get into your journey uh, post-LSU, but, you know, I, whether it's pre-LSU, at LSU, after the fact, and, and your role uh, as a scout and working for, for various NFL teams, who are some of the people who really ended up having a, a, a big impact on you and, and what you were able to, to accomplish and how you were able to grow? Well, I was very appreciative of, of Pete Mangurian, who was my line coach at LSU at the time, in my last two years at LSU. And he's the one that really got me started as far as, hey, you would be pretty good at coaching because you understand this you want you listen and the things I was just previously talking about and he was a big influence in, in getting me involved that way I really appreciate Mike Archer at the time the you know the you know who soon became the head coach after Bill Arnsbarger giving me the opportunity to stay on staff and work and learn and you know and and, and do that I appreciate R.C. Slocum at Texas A&M or also giving me the opportunity, Tim Cassidy, who currently is director of football operations at Arizona State, or these are guys that you know that said, "Hey, listen, you know you, you you're just starting out. You know, we enjoy visiting with you. You've got a you've got some really good thoughts for a young guy. You've been at a good organization at LSU. You've learned a lot there, and you know those are the guys that kind of got me started on the path of of you know being involved with college athletics." And then, you know, as I, you know, did that for a couple of years, well, then other opportunities came along with some of the guys that I'd met that were NFL scouts and you know, that were able to kind of steer me into the NFL where, you know, I was, I got an opportunity with NFL Europe the very first year in 1990. And so, you know, that was a huge opportunity for me. It was all because of what I'd done at LSU and Texas A&M that I were able to get into professional football at the time, the world league and, and really as a young guy, get to see the world for free, but learn from some veteran NFL front line, front office guys that were able to kind of direct me to uh, the path I went in scouting. Well, okay. So NFL Europe, what were your responsibilities there? And, and you, you mentioned that having such an impact in, in what ways did, that experience really impact you and maybe springboard into what would later uh, become a career in the NFL domestically? Yeah, that was something when I first started in 1990, the league was going and I was with a guy named Dan Rambo, who currently does player personnel stuff up in the CFL, you know, in the Canadian league. I worked with another man named Chet Franklin, who was a longtime NFL coach 
uh, you know, with the Raiders under Al Davis and then was a personnel man a number of years after that, you know, and, you know, we, those were older guys that were, you know, really kind of, you know, hanging on in the league and stuff and getting an opportunity. But Chet Franklin, you know, when I was involved with player personnel, you know, I was at the Dallas office and handled the waiver wire, handled player transactions, handled, you know, movement of the players, handled, uh, you know, evaluation of the players, you know, ran really our college scouting department at a very young age, my early 20s. And, you know, and that was a great experience for me to work with guys. Jerry Venisi at the time was running our football operations office in Dallas, and he was, uh, he was the architect of the 85 Bears. So, I, you know, I learned from some really veteran NFL guys, and it just happened to Chet Franklin, you know, at the time said, listen, I'm going to get you a job at the right time in the NFL. When it's the right time, I'm going to get you a job. And I was in NFL Europe for one year, basically, getting ready for the second season, and Ron Wolf uh, got the job with the Green Bay Packers in November of 91. And I, you know, Chet had called Ron and Ron was looking for a guy to coordinate his college scouting. And lo and behold, I went and interviewed with Ron on my 20, well, actually started on my 27th birthday, interviewed on a Tuesday, was working with the Packers on Thursday on my 27th birthday. And so, you know, that was a huge opportunity for me to, uh, you know, that these people thought enough of me, you know, to push me along and then give me the opportunity to get into the NFL from there. Okay, so you 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 go to the Packers. Uh, it, it's with the Packers in which you win a Super Bowl. Uh, what were your initial responsibilities with the Packers, and, and maybe how did your responsibilities grow as you uh, as you you accrued more time with that organization? Yeah, my job at the Packers was like the coordinator of college scouting. So what I was responsible for was I was not director of college scouting, but I oversaw like the information that came off the road from our scouts. You know, we were very fortunate to have a group of guys that currently hold, uh, you know, positions as general managers today, you know, guys like John Snyder, you know, was an intern of mine in green Bay. And now he's a general manager with the Seahawks and, uh, guys like, uh, uh, John Dorsey, who was, you know, who ran an organization, he drafted Pat Mahomes or helped in Kansas city draft Pat Mahomes. Scott McLuhan ran a team in Washington. Uh, you know, he was a great Tom Dimitrov was a guy, you know, that, that we, that I'd done a lot of work with. I mean, he, you know, there were, there were guys that we, that I did a lot of work with as scouts that, you know, their information would come in. I'd make sure it got into our system. Uh, then, you know, then I made sure when the time came for the draft that, you know, all our tags were set, all our reports were in the computer at the time, all our film was there. So I did everything. The scouts were the guys that went on the road and collected the information. I took the collected information and made sure it got to our systems. And then when we evaluated for the draft, we started work, then I was responsible for having everything in order for us to put our boards together and things like that. So it was a great experience, you know, not so much. I didn't get to do as much the evaluation stuff my first couple of years uh, because I was so busy trying to set things up for us. You know, we had a really a great group of scouts. All those guys I mentioned, you know, Sean Herrock was another one. I mean, we had guys that knew what they were doing out there on the road and, you know, they didn't need me out there. They needed me in the office, uh, you know, coordinating stuff. And so that's how I initially learned, you know, how to get information and, and get it, you know, it set up so we can build boards and, and be able to draft at the, at, you know, in April when we needed to do that. 
Okay, so I want to ask you about some of the the unique characters you got to be around with the Packers. Before I do, you know, we've referenced scouting a lot, and you essentially have assumed the identity as the the media scout uh, in your in the beginning of your your media career, and now you're hosting. Uh, with the G Bag Nation, and and that you know you you've evolved into more than just a, a football scout. You're you're talking about all sorts of sports, but I think you always uh, approach things, which I love listening to you from like a, almost like a scout's mentality. And so I guess I'm curious, what this is such a general question. I I hate to not be more specific, but how would you characterize the art of scouting, and what are some of the qualities necessary uh, for a scout to be successful? Well, I think the number one quality of a scout is that you have to be able to, you have to trust what you see. And, you know, I think the problem, Jared, nowadays with a lot of scouting departments is, you know, and I'm talking to these guys that I was scouts with that are now running these teams is, you know, it's about training. It's about, you know, you, you could train, I think you could train people to be scouts. I really, really do. I think, you know, it, yeah, it helps to have an eye or an understanding but, you know, I, I go back to Scott McLuhan, you know, who ran the Redskins and was with Seattle and placed, you know, Scott was, Scott's a very good scout, but Scott was a professional baseball player in the Toronto Blue Jays organization and, you know, had really no scouting background. And, you know, Ron Wolf brought him to Green Bay and then was able to train him. And I think that's really the most important thing is, you know, you can have an eye, but you have to have the training. You know, you have to be able to say, okay, these are the things that we're looking for in players. You know, these are the things. Now, you're going to be right, and you're going to be wrong. I mean, that's that goes to the saying that's part of the territory. But you know, you have to be able to first off trust what you see. If you're trained the right way, and you have, a, you know, young scouts don't have a, a, a bigger a rolodex of players in on you know in their mind to be able to compare. And I think that's some of the things that you know we bring up with like with uh, you know with what I do with 105.3 with like Jeff Cavanaugh and what I did with, you know, Kevin Turner and guys like that when we were all working together is that, you know, I was trying to train those guys. They had the natural eye for it. And, but now they, you know, there's six years of doing this. So you, you're, you've got a Rolodex in your head of players or an evaluation that you can compare players to. And I think that's really, really important. That experience of, you know, being right about a player, but also being wrong about a player because it, it makes you, it makes you go and dig a little bit, harder on a player it's like okay this guy reminds me of this player you know and that's going to be a positive or this guy reminds me about this player and it's a negative and those are the things those are the experiences that you have to have in order to be a really good scout you have to you have to just you know you you have those guys you hit on and you you go forward with those guys and it's fine it's the misses that make you make you tougher and make you more uh you know kind of it's focuses you more on what you need to do. I can say, I, I, I don't think about the guys that I got right. I think about the guys that I missed. Those are the guys that have shaped me as a scout. And then now, you know, working is in the broadcasting side of it. I mean, I, I, it's not really the life or death like it was, you know, per se, when working for a team. You know, now it's more about trying to paint a picture for my listener or my reader uh, to be able to better understand these players. And I think that's something I've always tried to project. Okay, so back to your time at Green Bay. You were there when Brett Favre was there. You were there when yes. John Gruden was there. And those two guys are 
about as fun a characters as the NFL has had over the last, certainly over my lifetime. I, I, what was it like uh, getting to know and, and working with and being around those two individuals? Well, I was an Uber driver for Brett Favre before there was Uber. You know, him and the quarterbacks at the time, you know, we had Doug Peterson, who's the head coach with Philadelphia, and then a guy like Jim McMahon, who was a Super Bowl winning quarterback with the Bears. And, you know, we had a group of guys that were really unique. And as far as they really had a good time, as you said, but, you know, I was the guy that made sure that they got to and from where they needed to go got the bar tab paid up, you know, and then got him out of trouble when we were about to have trouble. So, you know, that part of it was a lot of fun, uh, you know, just being around those guys. But, you know, because they, uh, they were a unique group. And But Favre always had a way of never taking himself too seriously. And I think that's something that we could all learn from him, that, you know, one of the great stories was about him not understanding what a nickel defense is and he having to ask Ty Detmer and, Ty was basically like, you're serious? You don't know? And he goes, no, I have no idea. <laughs> and he was basically saying that, well, Ty told him, well, hey, they take a you know, linebacker off and they put a defensive back on. And Favre looked at him and like goes, that's it? You know, that's it? That's all it is? And he's like, yeah, that's, that's really what it is. And so, you know, Brett never, never knew that. But Brett was really, really fortunate because he had guys that really, really appreciated him. You know, Andy Reid appreciated him. Steve Mariucci appreciated him. Uh, Mike Holmgren. Mike Holmgren, you know, there was a time where Brett was throwing a ton of interceptions. And, you know, and Mike and Steve basically said, hey, you know, we're married to you. We're not, you know, we had a chance to flip over and, you know, play with Mark Brunell at quarterback. And, and Mike and Steve said, nah, this is our guy. And I think Brett always appreciated that. But Brett, number one, he made it easy to really like him, you know, because he was such a fun-loving guy. And, you know, he, he didn't know a whole heck of a lot. He didn't, but he, he never acted like he knew a whole heck of a lot. He just was a really a great football player. And I think that's, I think that's what people appreciated about him the most. The fact that he was such a good person that it made it easy to, to fall in love with him and be around him. And I, I enjoyed that. I wear a Super Bowl ring today because of him. And I'll always, uh, always cherish that. And when you see the John Gruden uh, that we see today and, and maybe saw while he was a broadcaster versus the John Gruden you got to know, and I know you've got a, a, a ongoing friendship with him, but what is what, what do you what, what would you like people to know about the John Gruden that you know versus the John Gruden that maybe people portray or project through what they see through the TV screen? Yeah, John is a, a very, very passionate guy when it comes to his football. I mean, he, he, what you see on TV is really John Gruden. And I remember John, when, uh, you know, John was a guy, it's, it's well known that his alarm clock goes off at 317 in the morning. And John will tell you it's because he didn't know how to change the alarm clock. You know, he just didn't know how to, you know, he, he's like, I, I didn't know how to work it. So it, that's why it goes off. But John was a, John still is a very, very hard worker. And, you know, John at the time, it's funny, he was just, you know, he was just a really a, a broke coach, you know, and his wife, Cindy, they just had their son. And, you know, he, John was, took his company car and left it for Cindy to drive, you know, so John would walk to work, you know, and walking to green Bay in the dead of winter was never easy. And I'd go pick John up for work, you know, and, and drive him to the facility and stuff like that. So he wouldn't have to walk in the snow and things like that. And, 
you know, but John always appreciated that. John worked really, really hard. You know, the really good coordinators were guys that steal ideas from other coordinators. And John and Andy Reid and those guys were always working really hard at their craft to kind of come up with new creative ideas. Holmgren would always let them come up with a play or two that they could put in the game plan that week. And so that was really important to John as a young coach. And, you know, he coached a you know, with Sterling Sharp and, you know, and, and, and guys like that. I mean, he had, he had some guys, he had some characters that he coached, but John got along with everybody. And, and really what you see on TV is really what John Gruden is. And, and, and that's the thing I think that's so unique about him. You know, his dad was a longtime coach and scout. And so you know, he's got a good eye for, for players, but he's very, very passionate about that. And he takes all that stuff very, very seriously. Okay. I, I want to, go ahead and and discuss your time with the Eagles quickly. You were a part of uh, a group that was responsible for, you know, the the draft and the scouting and you uh helped bring in one of the best draft halls that uh maybe any team had that year and over several years when you look back at, at the guys the Eagles got in in this particular draft, it's it's incredibly impressive. Uh first of all for for those who uh, aren't familiar at all with what we're talking about. Who were some of those guys, and, and what was yeah. that process like? Well, it was very. It was it was a unique part of Eagle. You know, I I, I was brought in by Ray Rhodes uh, at the time, the head coach, the Eagles, and this is Ray and I'd worked together in Green Bay, and so I, you know, this is my opportunity to go and be an evaluator. I, you know, at Green Bay, I was really more of an administrator and kind of developed some evaluation skills. So I go to Philadelphia. And it was it was a difficult time for myself and a guy named Mike Lombardi, who you know now is in the media aspects like me, and Mike had run a team and stuff. And you know we worked in a you know with Ray bringing us in. It was there was a guy at the time in football operations named Dick Daniels who really didn't want me or Michael there. I mean this was this was a a very very tough time. And you know Michael and I went a whole year basically without ever talking to anybody in coaching. The coaches felt like and the scouts felt like that Michael and I were there to to take Dick Daniel's job and to fire everybody. You know, so that was a very, very difficult time. And Ray Ray Rhodes was trying to say, No, no, these guys will help us. Just let them let them help us. They'll help us here. And you know, but still we were we were not accepted, you know, and that was that was tough. I went, you know, I went from being, you know, knowing the staff and, you know, working with the staff in Green Bay to, you know, not working at all with the the Eagles guys. And that was tough. And I, you know, even John Gruden was on that staff in Philadelphia and, you know, John tried to help us and it just didn't work. I mean, that was, it was tough. And then lo and behold, Jeff Lurie, the owner of the team comes and says, I'm making a change after the season. I'm making a change. I'm getting rid of moving on from Dick Daniels. And okay. So here now, Michael and I are getting blamed for that because now Mr. Lurie is going to change out the, you know, player personnel guys. Well, all of a sudden, it's like all the scouts quit. I mean, there's like basically three scouts stayed and everybody quit. So it went from a scouting staff like, uh, you know, when I got the opportunity to run the department and run the draft, uh, you know, I lost four scouts just right off the jump. Boom. Don't want to be there anymore. So uh, Mark Ross, who was a first-year scout, we see Mark's now on the NFL uh, network doing stuff. You know, he was a general manager with the Giants or with the, you know, with the Giants and then with the Buffalo Bills, Dan Shanka, Jake Holland were old veteran scouts that just stayed on. And, you know, it was us, uh, them three and myself, that put together a board. And then, you know, I just actually pleaded with the coaches of, 
Hey, I, you know, I need you. I need you guys. If you're going to, if we're going to do this the right way, I'm going to need you. And, you know, to their credit, the guys came around, they said, okay, we understand what you're trying to do here. And, you know, we, we appreciate that. So initially it was not really much. It wasn't very fun for me, you know, and then, you know, the draft we pulled together, Michael made a great trade. He traded, you know, with Bill Parcells for Hugh Douglas, who was with the Jets, and, you know, we gave up our second-round pick. We took Trey Thomas in the first, Jeremiah Trotter in the third, Brandon Whiting in the fourth. I mean, we, we you know, Alan Rossum, Ike Reese, we took some really good players, some players that fit in, you know, to what we were trying to do, some really good role players, you know, and, and Trey Thomas started a long time. Uh, Hugh Douglas had a great career uh, with Philadelphia, and then Jeremiah Trotter, I had a doctor tell me, I don't know if he's going to play 10 games, or 10 years because of a knee. And, you know, I give Jeff Lurie a lot of credit. Jeff Lurie says, if we like this guy, let's take him. And we did. And he had a great career with the Eagles. And so, you know, that was the draft that really set Andy Reid up. That was the draft. We had the draft. And then Michael and I didn't get a chance to even stay for that after that draft. They moved on. I went to Jacksonville. Michael went to work at, uh, you know, I believe it's CBS. And, you know, we didn't even get to see it. But Andy Reid then came in as a coach and took that draft and then, you know, added, uh, you know, uh, Donovan McNabb and some others, you know, Bryant Westbrook and guys like that. And that, that was the draft that really propelled the Eagles to the, you know, those back-to-back drafts propelled the Eagles to division champs for several years in a row. Uh, you know, the roster, they did a great job, Andy did, of adding personnel and I'd like to take credit for, you know, helping uh, Jeff Lurie hire Andy Reid. They had no idea who Andy Reid was, and I brought him up as a possible candidate for an offensive coordinator position because John had left, Gruden had left to go work with the Raiders. And I'm like, we need to go hire Andy Reid from Green Bay. And went on and on and on and on about Andy Reid. And lo and behold, you know, after we left, they interviewed Andy Reid and they gave him the job. So, you know, it it was one of those things where it started off kind of rocky, and then it, you know, it smoothed out because we did the draft. It worked out, and then you know, the, but then we didn't get to see the final. You know, I never got to experience the final benefit. Andy Reid benefited from that draft, and you know, good for Andy because Andy was a good friend of mine. Our final question I have for you, Broadus. You, you made a decision at, at a point in your career where you essentially had to choose between, you know, continuing a pursuit in the NFL or family. And I know it's tough enough to balance the two. Uh, I guess if you don't mind without, you know, you don't need to go into detail, but uh, I can't imagine just talking to you. That wasn't really a hard decision for you. How was it for you prior to making that decision to essentially, you know, choose to stay in Dallas and not travel the country and be there for your son, Bennett? Uh, Prior to that, how tough was it to balance football life and family life? Well, yeah, Bennett was born uh, three days after the 04 draft. And I remember Bill Parcells looking at me and saying, you're going to be here for this draft, aren't you? And I said, if my son is born on draft day, I will not be here. And he got all bent out of shape about that. And I didn't care. I really didn't care. And, you know, you know, thankfully, Bennett came after the draft. And, you know, that was kind of my decision that I made at that point in time. And then, you know, my contract ran out in 05 uh, with the Cowboys. And, you know, and that's, that, that was a decision that Jeff Ireland at the time was running. And, you know, he wanted to bring me back, but it came down to me and a guy named Brian Gain. And if Brian had taken the San Francisco job, I would have still been working in Dallas. 
you know, but Brian said, no, I'm going to come work in Dallas. And, you know, and so I was out of a job and, you know, but I had to make a decision right then and there that do I want to go on the road? You know, I'd had some other guys around the league that were interested in bringing me on, but, you know, I had to make a decision, you know, at the time, my wife, you know, she was, uh, you know, involved with the mediator and or she was a mediator and she did things, you know, she was traveling the country and she was doing quite well. She was very successful at it, but you know, we had to make a decision. Do we need, you know, I mean, I needed to be here for him, you know, while she traveled and, and, you know, and, and really made a living for our family at the time. until I could kind of find something, you know, that worked out for everybody. And, you know, it, it, that part of it was, uh, difficult because I wanted to, you know, I still wanted to scout, but I, but I wanted also to help my family. You know, it was important to me because of Bennett and, and her and the job that she had that we make sure that he's taken care of first. And, and that's what it always been, you know, and, and he's now two years, uh, you know, two more years of high school and then he'll be in college. And if I want to go do something else in my life, well, then I'll be free to go do something else in my life. But I've been really fortunate to, you know, I made, that's when I made the decision and, and got the opportunity to be involved with the media, you know, after that, that, you know, Oh five, Oh six and Oh seven, then, that's kind of shaped my, that's what shaped my opportunity to be involved with media. And it's, it's been, you know, it's been something that's been great. I had a nice run as a scout, but I felt like I've had a pretty good run as a media guy now too. So I've, I've been real fortunate to have two different careers. You know, with some people have just one career, I, I've, I've had a couple of different careers and that, 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 that aspect of it has been a lot of fun.